Welcome to this ChangeBoard Future Talent podcast, our new series of exclusive interviews with business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. I'm Jim Carrick-Burtwell, the Chief Exec and Co-Founder of ChangeBoard. Thanks for listening to this Future Talent podcast. There are many more available to listen to or download on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud. Today, I'll be joined by Kirsty Donnelly, who's the Managing Director of City and Guilds, a global leader in skills development and apprenticeship schemes. Kirsty has worked at the forefront of the skills and education sector for over 25 years. Throughout her career, she spearheaded the development of award-winning products and services across the adult and consumer learning marketplaces. She's a passionate advocate of the role of digital and social media in transforming how people live, learn and work. Her commitment to this area was recognised when she was awarded an MBE in the Queen's Honours List for her services to e-learning in the FE and adult sector. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the increasing role that technology is playing in education, how the worlds of education and work will change in the next decade, and what can be done to ensure that we can upskill all employees to create an inclusive digital revolution. Kirsty, you, you cover lots of different things in, in City Hills, including putting together the apprenticeships uh, agenda. Um, can you describe some parts of your role? Yeah, it's very interesting being asked to describe the role because it is one of the great things about the role. It's got so much variety in it. I mean, I do feel very privileged that I have a role that allows me to do what I'm very passionate about, which is something around education and skills and, and helping. And that's been a big part of your whole career. Absolutely. It's I the mean, golden thread. Almost is the golden thread. And, 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 and you know, I was just re- re- reflecting you know, before we started the podcast and thinking, you know, it literally is 30 years this year since I kind of graduated and found myself dropping into a, a role in a college at the time, a, a temporary role, and thinking, oh my goodness, how have I landed here? And teaching A-level business study students having just come out with a degree in English. Yeah. That would never happen, I hope, today. And no. it shouldn't have happened then, because <laughs> I, what I knew about business admin, you could, uh, business administration, you could have written on a stamp. But joking apart, I mean, ever since then, I've, I've always been involved in, in, in some aspect of the design and build and development of education and skills and creating new systems that find much better ways for people to access and widen the participation in education and that for me is something I feel tremendously passionate about so so to now be at Sitting Gills and find myself still playing a very big role on a global stage really in terms of what we're doing to influence skills you know not just in the UK domestically but also internationally and find myself working for a great organization like the City and Guilds group yeah. that has a golden thread in it so strong yeah. to its purpose which is about helping people and organizations develop the skills that they need to prosper it's just a tremendous way to find myself at my career 30 years on yeah well we've we've talked about I mean one of the, the sort of constant things we've had in our conversations has been having uh, of a very strong kind of purpose in your work, and yes. clearly, sort of, you say education skills is a mm-hmm. uh, is a is a real driver for you. I mean, what what's on your kind of uh, in tray now? What are the things you know at this particular moment? I mentioned apprenticeships. There's T skills coming down the line. Yep. What are what are the big things that you're focused on? Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned two of them certainly domestically, but although apprenticeships isn't just a domestic issue, where, no. wherever I go when I'm operating in our international uh, regions, apprenticeships or a form of apprenticeships keeps popping up as being part of the holy grail that some of those countries that we're working with are looking to to solve their 
problems as well. I mean, I often find myself quite probably shocked at just how similar the issues that are faced by lots of countries internationally are to the UK, although the context is quite different. So, And is there it, learning? Is there something, well, are models you can look at, or is it you know very unique in, in each part of the world? It, the, the context is often very unique. Uh, the themes aren't. So the themes around, you know, the, the high levels of youth unemployment, we think ours is, it, it, it is bad enough and has been even worse than it is today. But you go to other countries and you're looking at, you know, 50% plus youth unemployment. Mm. But the themes around, you know, employers wanting the education system to supply more of those human skills, those employability skills, those resilience, ability to cope with the changes ahead of us. You know, we're talking about a world we live in now that... It, it, is a is a global marketplace yeah four generations you know you might be working with your grandparent you might be competing with your grandparent for your next job yeah artificial intelligence you know what impact is that going to have on the next iteration of positive disruption uh within the uh, the world of work so all of those themes i see playing out can we can we learn from well i think we can always learn from from each other i think what i do notice certainly if you take countries like africa how good they are at leapfrogging yeah uh with technology yeah. to try and solve the problem so they haven't got all the history of the 15 20 years of doing it the wrong way yeah they, don't, lack, they don't have the legacy systems. they don't have the legacy issues they don't have some of the skepticism and they almost have got such a such a burning platform or such a need to change they just go right straight to the source and yeah. so you know the multi-millions of people who are then using smartphones and therefore using that to tap into their education and access at a distance their resources their tutors their support network is yeah. just happening whereas here culturally people fear that it takes a long time to get people to see it's not necessarily a replacement yeah. it's an enabler it's an addition to how a teacher or a tutor might support a learner and vice versa so so yeah i think there are there are some differences but as i say the themes about what what we're trying to address here are, are, are very much the same which is a much clearer employer responsive agenda where employers because a lot of employers now are working multinationally i mean mm. even small and medium-sized employers are often now trying to compete for contracts that take they them are. multinationally so they're looking for people who've got that ability to sort of translate those skills across a broader uh, a broader range of um of activities yeah and in a i guess looking at the uk specifically in a in a post-brexit world we're going to be increasingly reliant on on our own skills it's going to be harder potentially to access skills from outside the uk yeah um which means that we're going to have to build this kind of you know this intellectual capital this educational capital um i, I mean do you see us being disadvantaged in a way because we have a legacy system where apprenticeships are regarded um as you know, not of the same standing yeah. as, as higher education. And I suppose, y yes, on the one hand, I mean, I suppose that's what really disappoints me about, you know, our education system today. I mean, look, apprenticeships are not a new concept. No, they're not. They're 14th, 15th century, even even before. I mean, the journey someone took, um, it sounds a slightly sexist journey because it, it tends to be spoken in male language, you know, the, the apprentice who became a journeyman, who became a master at their craft. I mean, yeah. I still think that's a very relevant journey today. The only word I'd add in there is a bit of mystery or mistressy at the, uh, yeah. of the mastery. <laughs> but uh, but my point being that you know that you know that was very much the heartland of how. 
how we grew, you know, how, how the, 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 the nation we have today or the nations we had today that make up the UK yeah. grew from, from, from that investment that was being made all those centuries ago in, in, in apprenticeships. So, so it's a shame that somewhere along the way we lost some of that. Yeah. And I think it's great now that we are starting to talk again to, um, you know, an, an apprenticeship system that is genuinely owned hopefully is going to be owned by employers they're going to genuinely not just have lots of white noise and yeah. bemoan the education system that has sometimes potentially let them down but equally want to do something about it and want to work hand in hand with education and skills to actually better predict the skills that they are going to need in the future so then, then the apprenticeship system behind it can work to support what they're looking for but I, you know I do feel that there is a lot of ground we have to to catch up on mm. and I think you know some of that is just a little bit of educational snobbery you know yeah. we have issues as we know with schools and potentially HE who you know find it harder to recognize the value of apprenticeships yeah. over the currency that we all know you know A levels GCSEs etc cetera, etc cetera. I do think that's changing now I think you know things like the the cost of debt of, yeah. uh, of going into HE is probably a, a bit of a lever it's not the only one I think genuinely people are starting to say well hold on if I can actually earn and learn if I can actually start my career at 18 plus and still get training and still evolve and by the time I'm 22 23 24 I'm well on my career career trajectory without the same kind of debt I might have had mm. and I've got an apprenticeship under my belt isn't that potentially you know a comparable gold standard for me to choose couldn't agree more I mean I think I don't know what you think but employers being so wholeheartedly involved in the system partly now because there's a, an apprenticeship levy yes. so like it or Carrot lump stick. it yeah there's a chunk of money which they yep. they are looking to utilize um but also i guess driven by the fact that they are um consistently and it's not just a uk thing as you've said not finding the right skills mm. whether they are the, the hard skills or whether it is the the softer skills um, that they need to get people into the sort of uh, the, from the supply side. So employers are, are, are really engaged. I mean, what are your perspectives or insights in terms of the role that employers have to play uh, in creating this new kind of education and skills system? Yeah, I mean, as I said before, I think a lot of, historically, I mean, it's not, again, a new concept. I mean, if you go back to the 1980s, there was a employers, there was the education training, uh, employee and training boards, and they played a very big role in, in trying to connect with education and try to influence it. And then sort of we had the new apprenticeship back in the early 1990s, mm -hmm. and then that modern apprenticeship as it was called and that kind of lost its way and I think we've, we're back now into the into the next 21st century of that and I think employers have probably come to the table on the one hand a little bit reluctantly mm -hmm. dragged a little bit because at the end of the day employers let's be honest employers have their day job to do yeah. and they would rightly say our day job isn't necessarily to educate uh, 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 young people coming out of the education system yeah. but it is their obligation I believe to invest in the talent and skills that they're going to need to help them prosper even if those talent and skills then go on to somewhere else because there'll be other employers also delivering the uh, apprenticeships and training which means they get to benefit so it becomes like a virtuous circle and I think more and more employers are starting to see that you, you, you know there's no doubt the levy has provided the kind of carrot stick to a certain extent, although yeah. there is still some question about how many employers really are taking up the levy. And I think there's just a general frustration from employers that we've heard now quite consistently for a few years that we're just not getting what we want or need from 
education and that's all forms of education not just one form yeah and therefore yes we probably do need to go back to some grassroots and rethink how do we get involved in setting the technical pathways how do we get involved in future predicting the sorts of roles that are going to be needed 5 10 15 years from now and i think that's something that neither employers or the education system has been particularly good at in the past and what you think that? signs that that's actually happening now yeah i think i think that is happening i mean even if we look at ai although there's still so much to play out around will artificial intelligence really take over the world will it take all of our jobs or actually will it create as many or at least an, a number of jobs and skills as much as it will potentially take away some, some jobs and skills and if you think about cyber you know the, all the training and education that's now going on tr- cyber training cyber skills that's starting to become much more part of the the system you think about the investment being made in stem yeah. you know around that whole technical agenda and um, science and, and and maths i think yeah i think there is starting to be a genuine recognition from both sides and in government then in the middle finally starting to try and do the right things with the policy agenda to mm. create that sticky relationship between employers and the educators but look let's not kid ourselves Jim it's not going to be easy no. it won't happen overnight um, and as I say there probably is still a little bit of coming to the table sort of kicking and streaming what what I am very clear on though from the conversations we have with employers and the ones that have clearly made that commitment they are so committed yeah they absolutely want to be involved and they want to do their absolute best to try and make sure that we do get this right and 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 so they should because at the end of the day it's their productivity that that's hurting if they don't yeah and i think there's also uh, an angle is there not that employers uh, you know look at what's happened with brexit they can see that there's you know if if they become part of the establishment and they're seen to be just hiring from kind of essentially elites then they yeah. don't reflect um, and neither do their products and services the the people that they're looking to serve the people that they want to buy those products and services uh, and i guess there's there's that sense of um, equal opportunity mm. again has got a bit of carrot and stick in there. Yeah, um, yeah. Because if we're going to compete with what could be the consequence of Brexit, we've almost got to make a whole variety of jobs and occupationals, uh, occupations, sorry, as attractive. Yeah. As they need to be to you know people who are living in this country versus the people who came in to take those jobs because you know in some cases people didn't want to do those jobs. So yeah. there's definitely been some you know, definitely been some disconnection going on there between people's aspiration and how we've been putting across what careers and occupations are available for, yeah. for people. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm still not clear exactly what impact Brexit really will have. Will we really see that absolute sort of brain drain or skill drain, whatever you want mm. to call it? I mean, there will be an impact. There probably already is. I mean, we we know we you hear of anecdotally of of, of um, cohorts of people who've come from other parts of the world and particularly Europe who maybe aren't as here in the same numbers as they were. But I'm not sure necessarily we will see it quite as starkly. Yeah. But I do think even without Brexit, I still think you know, we had an oxymoron of jobs without people and people without jobs yeah. before bro- Brexit. Yeah. We have it. And yeah. that's what we've got to fix, actually. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I think our challenge is. How do we fix that oxymoron? Yeah. Well, I, 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 you know, and it leads kind of me on to, um, broadly speaking, uh, you know, a more inclusive agenda. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the common good, I think, is something which is, has, has risen up the ranks because whether it's the financial crisis or all sorts of things which have been, you know, essentially discredited, a, a, you know, a, a more selfish approach to yep. uh, life and business. 
Um, and one of the things that we're going to be working on together at the the, the conference is looking at, um, if you like, intergenerational inclusion. Yes. Mm. Um, so how do we share knowledge, share digital skills, for example, between different groups? Um, I mean, what are your views on that? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, it's interesting you, 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 you were speaking then, Jim, I was thinking about examples I've already started to see. So both of that particular issue and or, or, or opportunity, as I'd rather talk to it, and also employers collaborating on it. So about three years ago, we created the um, City and Guilds Industry Skills Board. And, you know, it really has grown from strength to strength. And this is a, a group of employers who come together every other month, um, you know, give up quite a lot of time, cross-sector, cross-size, uh, large, small, um, international, yeah. and they really do come at the agenda from the point of view of what's the common agenda, not what am I trying to get out of it. And yeah. so we've seen some brilliant case studies emerging where we've had employers sharing their case studies of how they're dealing and tackling those sorts of issues or challenges. Different case studies shared about how to better engage adults into apprenticeships. Yeah. How do you actually get um, the benefit and the maturity of an older worker yeah. or a more mature worker, uh, someone like us, <laughs> <laughs> working with, you know, uh, Millennium and, and trying to really, really, really try to drive that blend of people people who are, you know, the, the young people coming through the ranks as well as then. And it goes back to your leadership point because I think to a certain extent a young person coming through the uh, through their, their employment uh, pathway can learn an awful lot, pick up an awful lot around leadership yeah. and just around resilience and all of those features we were talking about before that actually is what leadership is about. It's actually yeah. not the textbook. No. Although I'm not suggesting there isn't some good underpin in a textbook, so I don't offend anybody. No, but, but it's like if you see it, you'll yeah, know exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. If you see, if you see what good looks like, if you've got that really great mentor, you you know, then I, I think you get a lot of that passing down. In the same way, you know, um, you know, the more mature worker. I think it's a lot of benefit by working with that energy and 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 you know I've seen some great examples of co-coaching yeah and the um, the more mature worker being co-coached on some of the technology some of the social media and it, it's just fantastic when you see that you see that happening really yeah well, and they're great examples again um, uh, of lifelong learning um, um, and I know that's one of the sort of again one of the the core elements which you know you and and and, and City and Guilds as a group. Uh, are all about mm. um, I mean it's one of the things that uh, I, mean, I, I, I was reading Linda Grattan's 100 year life and and, uh, and there's a lot in there about um, you know just the whole idea of education then work and then retirement this three-part life is just being smashed yeah. apart rather terrifyingly as a, on the sort of flyleaf someone's put this is a terrifying book <laughs> um, and it's kind of all the things that you thought you could rely on as a system have yeah. just been blown apart and this idea you know on the flip side we're going to get the chance as we were just talking about before yeah. this chat of reinventing ourselves what would our what would our alter ego do? Um, we, we're potentially all going to have the chance to explore that. Um, I mean, how how are you seeing business approach this idea of lifelong learning? How seriously are they taking it at this stage? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure. It, I think you'll, there'll be varying degrees. I think, I think, 
I think lifelong learning is a concept for a lot of businesses and em employers. Once you unpick it, they would probably buy into it. But the problem is, again, the term, I mean, I, I, I've always worked with a, the concept of lifelong learning. I, mean, I go back to one of my early pieces of work, probably if I go back to one of my big career moments, what, what was one of the turning points that probably meant was part of the pathway that led me to where I'm today was being involved at a very very young age so an example of what we were just talking about yeah very young age you know when I look back now how green and young I was in my sort of early mid-20s and being asked to sit on a national task force group which was then um, led by David Blunkett while he was in in, in the ministerial post yeah education secretary at the time running uh, the um, work that led to a green paper called the learning age mm. and if you go back and look at that and you look at the things that were in the learning age and that came out subsequently the learning age they are still many of them true today but that was all about lifelong learning so yeah. for me that is the golden thread yeah uh, to build that bridge that you were just defining then, Jim, about helping people transition from multiple worlds and blend their worlds of work, life, and, and different work and different aspects of their life. And I think we do need to take it more seriously. I think government needs to take it more seriously. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to make this a funding point, but funding for it has been pretty dire. Mm -hmm. And actually, we've seen it ebb away uh, consistently now over the last decade. And I think employers tend to by and large, generalization, by and large tend to invest in the absolute immediate yeah. training skills that they need, which is possibly understandable, and don't necessarily pay enough attention to, well, hold on, what is the overall welfare and well-being? Because actually by addressing that in a lifelong learning sense, we will get the payback yeah. through thinking about our talent management in a very different way. Well, isn't, isn't there a need in this? Because I completely agree. Most businesses look at things in terms of their, their in immediate next 12 months, you know, the, the next part of their P&L. Um, whereas things like, you know, an education system and one could argue, a, you know, health system, a social care system need much longer planning. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've often wondered why we don't have a model a bit like, you know, um, you know, Lord Adonis was put in charge of, of infrastructure commission because mm -hmm. things like Crossrail or HS2, it makes no sense to either plan for those or fund those, uh, on a short-term basis you're going to be to looking take, yeah. take them out of a party political yep. cycle have cross-party support um I, i've often wondered why education ha doesn't have that um why it kind of swings around and is you know we, we, we've just had another kind of cabinet reshuffle yep and and you wonder how long before new you know ministers settle into their role what their priorities will be yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I suppose one of the, if you were to ask me, and you may well be going to, but one of my, you know, as much as that's a very positive career today, one of my frustrations is the amount of political football yeah. that gets played with education skills. In fact, we did a piece of research called Sense and uh, Instability uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, if you look at that research top line, you know, it, it, over 60 uh, different ministers over a 30-year period and changes um, to legislation and policy compared to that of, say, something stable, more stable like HE. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, sort of the more vocational... Um, education skill system has definitely been played as a political football and mm. that there is no doubt we have some of the problems we do today yeah not even not least with careers advice and guidance which again i know something you feel passionate about that is part of the problem that's one, one of the reasons that we haven't yet fixed that if we fix the careers advice and guidance problem yeah if we actually a bit like going to a doctor and and and, and actually once and for all found the cure we wouldn't have to keep putting in 
all of these other other fixes but it does need investment yeah and unfortunately it, it it just does but but back to your specific point no i think there's a lot of merit in in that point and and you know government might argue well, well they sort of do that i mean at the moment you've got robert half halfron who's who is chairing a sort of all select education parliament committee there was of course the the, the halfron and lord glassman um apprenticeship commission which had the benefit of being part of that a few years ago arguably they are there to try and do that but but unfortunately education does rather get treated much more as a a sort of ministerial civil service policy agenda and depending who's in at that moment in time will very much depend on the stability of what comes out and what doesn't come out and of course that's the fear with with the current policy around apprenticeships and indeed t levels yeah um, but they, I mean, uh, again, I'm optimistic about kind of apprenticeships and, and T levels because they they seem to be here to stay. Well, the employer agenda behind it. Exactly. If that momentum continues to move in the way that it started to, certainly on apprenticeships, T levels is still yet to come through. And I'm not yet convinced many employers really understand what T levels will do or could do or what the opportunity or challenge might be of them but yes more and more engagement with employers on that agenda i think will enable the good things to hopefully stick that's yeah. what that's what we can hope for yeah well here's to being optimistic <laughs> on that front <laughs> uh I, I mean i could i could uh, so many things i'd like to ask you Kirsty, but i guess um slightly drawing to because i'd love to kind of um just get some of your reflections on you know, I think one of the things we, 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 we said we were going to talk about is in terms of, uh, you know, role model people that have inspired you. But, you know, I, I wondered if you, anybody springs to mind, but also, you know, leadership qualities in terms of if you you were just reflecting back on some of the things in your career or some of the things you wish had been different. Uh, if you were speaking to a kind of younger self in terms of some of the things that we know now that you would say, look, focus on these things um, for for your career, what would they be? Wow, that is a that's a very good question. Um, code for very hard question to answer. <laughs> um, we, but we could edit this out. <laughs> it, might, it, might, it might not see the final edit. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think it's a really good because it is. It's one of those classics, isn't it? You look back now and you think, wow, if only I knew that. But I guess what I've always felt has held me in good stead, genuinely so. And I don't know. It's that nurture nature. I, I, you know, do you do you learn it? Do you watch it? And then you learn it. Is around your authenticity, yeah. your emotional intelligence. You yeah. know, I know those are rather old words now in the sense of the leadership language. You know, there's other new, more modern words we tend to use to describe what we mean there. But I do think being v- v- very genuinely authentic in how you work with people and yeah. uh, uh, and and I, I think it is an incredibly important skill. Using your emotional intelligence. Uh, resilience. Yeah. I mean, I think resilience is probably one of the more modern skills mm. that I think even more so young people coming through the world of education, the world of work today are going to have to have even more of because yeah. I, you know, I realize now I probably was a very resilient 20 something year old when I started, but yeah. that resilience has grown and grown and grown and, and has had to because of even the amount of change that, you know, an experience that that I've had. So it's always very difficult to hone in in one. I think passion. Yeah. You know, if you're not passionate, about what you're doing if you don't actually have uh, you know if you don't care about it to at least a degree even if you're it's not, hard to stay the course it, isn't it, it is hard to stay the course you've really got to believe and I suppose that's why when you asked right at the beginning about my role here I mean I just genuinely do feel so privileged to have a role that not only allows me to keep my passion but connect it to a purpose I just think if you can get that if you can combine that magic then, then, then you're in a pretty good space. And then I guess in terms of, you know, role models, I, I, I have genuinely had so many, I think I, it would be hard to point 
pick one out and um uh, I guess ultimately I was really think of someone who's probably inspired me consistently although you know I don't know whether I want him to hear this that I've said this about him is my dad actually mm. who's been in education he's 80 going on 81 now he still works in education when he can he'll go off and do a project in Africa and he has been literally given you know well over 50 years of his life to something that he really believes in and I suppose l- being brought up with that learning that almost that nurture that being nurtured in me no doubt had some influence and bearing in what I ultimately chose to do although in all fairness to him he he never interfered with my choices or I don't think he did (laughs) I'll have to reflect on that one (laughs) well that's that's really lovely to hear that feels like a very a very good point to to finish this because I've really enjoyed this conversation thank you so much thank you Jim you can hear more from Kirsty on the skills agenda and what good looks like when she speaks at our Future Talent Conference on March the 22nd at the Royal Geographical Society in London. She'll be exploring the attitudes to different generations in the workplace and some of the common misconceptions. Our other speakers include Seleni Henry on what true diversity looks like, Alistair Campbell discussing mental health and Margaret Heffernan looks at the importance of friendship in business. Join 750 leaders to discuss the future of work by booking now at www.ftconference.changeboard.com. For more stories like this, follow us on Twitter with the handle at changeboard or visit www.changeboard.com. <laughs>